0: Hash, if you will, review, not an entire and complete review, if you will, from last week. But I do want to bring us up to date as this is the uh, the second part of the series that is titled uh, Warrior. And so we'll get into that here in just a moment. And uh, so Hebrews chapter 11 tonight, Hebrews in chapter 11 is where we are. and We've read these in our reading already earlier in the service, but Hebrews 11 verse 32 and 34 the Bible says, and what shall we say or shall I say more? Uh, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith and new kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of the lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant and fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. So we see here in the latter part of Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the, uh, we refer to that as the hall of faith. Okay, we've all heard of a, such as hall of Fames and from sports and actors and things like that. There's these hall of Fames. We call this Hebrews chapter over the whole of faith, and and we we have the writer of, of Hebrews, who I believe is the Apostle Paul, but the writer of Hebrews, it goes through a litany of, of, of men and women whose faith, guys, whose whose faith it was unfailing, was, it fainted not, and, and all of these great and wonderful things that had happened, and this speaks of Abraham and Noah and Moses and all of these different people, and he starts to come down to the latter part of the chapter, <clears throat> And as he gets to the latter part of the chapter, we see that he says, what, can, what more can I say? What, what more can I list? He said, times would fail me to speak of Gideon's. To speak of Barak and to speak of Samson and Jephthah. And he goes on. He goes, these people subdue kings. And then he speaks of even unknown or unnamed people, if you will. that There were some that wrought righteousness and obtained promises. We know that uh, several, Sarai or Sarah, she's mentioned there as well, but she obtained a promise. Hannah obtained a promise, if you remember. She pled for God to give her a son. God gave her a son and she said, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And, and what a tremendous man of God that she uh, produced. Douched, amen. By by obtaining that promise, out of weakness we're made strong. We think of King David. I preached on King David yesterday in a the, in the men's meeting over in Brimpton. and uh, and you think of David that guy shows up in the Valley of Elah where Israel had a standoff with the Philistines uh, for 40 days and 40 nights. And they're all stood stood there and they're shaking in the boots. Big old Goliath is running in his mouth and he's lipping off and he's saying all these things. He's defying the God of Israel and defying Israel and all of these things. And here's this 12 to 14, most people believe uh, 14-year-old, good-looking kid. The Bible says he's a fair countenance. He's ruddy, which means he was ginger-haired. He just turns up and he goes, Dude, what's going on? Why are you guys hanging around forty days they've stood around shaking in their boots? And he says, Is there not a cause? Are you gonna sit over you guys are warriors? Can we not do something? Eliab, his brother, started mocking him out. He goes, What do you you're just but a youth. Why do you I know your pride, I know your naughtiness. Why are you here? You just come to go see the battle. You're just come here to uh, to be nosy, if you will, to take a poke. And actually, he was bringing some cheese up there, if you will, for his dad. said, take some cheese and feed the soldiers and help them out. And he shows up. Soldiers ain't fighting. They're over there in the corner uh, shaking in the boots, afraid. Here's Saul, King Saul, who's head and shoulders above everyone. He's not doing anything. He's not facing any battle. And Goliath's over there mocking them all out. And on top of it all, he's mocking out God. Here's, here's David. He's a nobody. Now, we know by the, because we see the end of the story, we know that he was already anointed. By Samuel. All right. <laughs> Great prophet of God. Samuel was. He, he was already anointed to be the next king. He didn't know that. He's just a boy out there tending to, as his brother said, those few sheep. Where have you left those few sheep? And you start reading through 1 Samuel 17. And you start to look at, at how they looked at David. Saul said, hey, man, does anybody know who this 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 kid is out here? And, uh, and his first of arms said, I know not who he is. He was nothing. He was a nobody. And then they refer to him as a stripling. I used this yesterday, if anybody knows what a stripling or stripling is and and uh, uh, just just a branch okay now. This was a men's meeting, so I used it as a, and there were some Americans there, and they were, you know, roughly my age and older, and, uh, you know, we remember what it was like at kids. You know, kids nowadays, it's like they get a timeout or something, or they go on the naughty step. We got our tail whooped, okay? That's just the way it was, okay? And uh, and I know that's controversial today. Shouldn't be, but it is. And, uh, my, you know, my parents had no problems in taking a hickory stick off a tree and, and switching the devil out of my legs. And I'm going to go and tell you right now, I needed it, all right? I needed a whole lot more, if you want to know the truth okay now hopefully they're not watching this i don't want to get one as a 51 year old man from them but you know what if they if they were going to do it i'd respect them enough to go ahead and do it you understand but they were calling david just this stripling over here just this who is this skinny little ruddy boy and it went all down the way and it showed how david was just weak that's what he was and, and we look here as we see in hebrews 11 Out of weakness was made strong. In the very same chapters that you're reading, he kills Goliath. And then next thing you know, he's a mighty warrior. And they ascribe ten thousands to him. And that's when King Saul started hating him then. He despised him. He had the green eye of envy upon him. Guys, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, if if, if you're an envious person, you're a weak person. Okay? Envy needs to be removed from your life. Envy will destroy your heart and soul. Do you understand It'll set a root of bitterness inside of you. And guys, I know I've already told you the sermon's very short tonight, so I got a little bit of add-ons here in the front end, if you will. So Hebrews 11 tells of these great men and women, these great men and women of God, who whose faith was beyond belief. And you know something I ran across in the midst of this study is as we continue to read on and it's not on the chapter it's add on it's free tonight we we this is all great escape the edge of the sword that's a good thing yeah quench the violence of fire that's wonderful right we know Kim, we know daniel what was daniel where's daniel daniel's in this little uh, escape the lions where is it is stop the mouth of lions we know the story of Daniel when Daniel was a 70-something-year-old man. And, and again, the green eye of envy of the other, other guys in the area, they, they tricked King Darius into, um, into writing a decree that if anyone prays to any other god other than your gods for a 30-day period, they knew Daniel prayed three times a day with the window open facing Jerusalem. And Daniel just did like he did a four-time. Daniel didn't start praying now that it was illegal. He was dedicated. And that's the point that we'll get into tonight. He continued to pray. So, therefore, because of the decree, and Darius loved Daniel. Loved him. But he had to follow the decree. They chucked him down to that pit of lions. I heard one preacher say and and God gave those lions lockjaw. Daniel fluffed up a fluffed up a lion as a pillow and got his old testament out. I'm gonna say this joke and you're gonna hate it, it sounds terrible, but then he started reading between the lions. Ah (laughs) thank you, Sue. She laughed. I heard that the other the old famous preacher, man. I was on the way into the gym, and I heard him say that, and I just went, oh, that was terrible. And I said, don't say it. Don't use it. Please don't use it. <laughs> That's bad. But anyway, you know, we these are wonderful things. Good night to be listed in the Hebrews, in chapter 11, to be listed in the hall of faith. And we're going to get to Gideon in just a moment. Just bear with me just for a moment. I saw this the other night. As a matter of fact, I even came home. And I said, him, he said listen, I want to show you something here. Not that you haven't read it before. But as you get into Hebrews 11, and we, we see that the violence was quite, We see these great things that happen. But this stops at verse 34. Verse 35 says, uh, women received their, their dead raised to life again. That's wonderful. And others were tormented, or tortured, not accepting deliverance. Wait a second. That took a hard turn. Why can't they not be tortured? Not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Then verse 36 comes in there. It says, and others had a trial of cruel mocking and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. We know Paul was in prison left and right and beaten many a times. He said they were stoned. We know Stephen, the famous deacon, was stoned. Matter of fact, Paul, who was also Saul, gave the consenting unto his death prior to salvation. Verse thirty-seven, they were sawn asunder. Wait a second. Hang on. I want to put the brakes on. Let's back up to verse thirty-four. Let's get to all the great and wonderful and fluffy. This stuff is wonderful. No matter of fact, it's believed, according to history, that it was Isaiah who was sawn asunder. The prophet Isaiah, uh, Jehoiakim. They believed that King Jehoiakim had put him in a hollow tree, in a way to mock out God. Jehoiakim's a wicked, wicked king. He's the one that whacked up the pen with the penknife. The, the word of God, God just rewrote it. But and they sawn the, the the tree asunder with Isaiah. in it. And is it. guys. You know, we took a hard turn somewhere, didn't we? Just three and a half minutes ago, we were celebrating. Women were getting their dead babies back to life. And and I mean, people were being spared from the lions and all of this. But then we keep going. In the same chapter, the same hall of faith, said scourging. Said they were stoned. Said they were sawn asunder. Were tempted. Were slain with the sword. Uh, They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Did you know one of the things that the Roman Empire did to Christians? Was they would wrap them in the skins of animals. Alright? They would tie it on them, fix it on them, and turn them loose in the wilderness and send out their dogs to hunt them for entertainment. The Bible says being destitute afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves. And and these all, speaking of the good things, these great wonderful things, and these right here as well, Having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. See, I'm bringing that part to you tonight, guys, because we're, we're, we're addressing an issue of what it takes to be a warrior. You know, we know that Gideon's name is, means warrior. We talked about that last week we 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 are we're, we're beginning in the events of Gideon's battles and it's a tremendous battle and and I don't know so much about here but I know that uh, I know at least in the states that there's all kinds of uh, schools are named after Gideon we know that there's bible programs and youth programs and, and charity programs all these things Gideon Gideon's mighty warriors and things like that he's a he's famous man famous man in the book of judges He's a farmer turned to a fighter like we heard last week. He was a worker. He was a laborer. And i am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is not going to use a lazy person. He's not going to. He was the poorest of all those in Manasseh. His family was the poorest. And out of all, the uh, the, the Manasseh was of the poorest tribe. And out of that poorest tribe, his family was the poorest. And out of his family, he was the weakest. And God says, you're the one I'm going to use. You're going to deliver Israel. As he's over there threshing wheat in a wine press. He sent out messengers. We heard this last week. Just a quick review. He sent out messengers who would be willing to join in the fight against the Midianites, their mighty oppressors. 32,000 people showed up. And you may or may not remember the the first point, the only point last week, the first area that God tested. What did he test? He tested their courage. Their courage. How did he test their courage? Well, he just gave him a statement, didn't he? He gave him a statement, and he essentially said into the people's ears, he said, whosoever is fearful and afraid, go on home. (laughs) Simple. If you're afraid, and you don't have the faith that God can deliver you out of the hands of the Midianites, I want you to go home. He didn't say, I want this many to go home. He said, just if you're fearful. Out of 32,000 people that showed up, 22,000, on the test of courage, they got up and went. They said, "That's my cue." Fearful, fearful. So we saw the test of of courage tied to being fearful. We talked about a fear of God last week, and again, I'm going to talk about a reverential fear of God, but the fear of God of what He'll ask you to do in your life if when you finally submit to His calling. What's he going to ask you to give up? What's he going to ask you to take on? What's he going to ask you to give? What is he going to ask you to do? I'm convinced we live in a, a, a very fearful society today. We're afraid of everything. I mean, we've talked about diagnoses before. We've talked about phobias and all that. Now, if you're afraid of spiders, I said this last week, you're, a good, you're all right. You're in good company. But outside of that, we're just afraid of everything. We're afraid to just get you know sink our heels in and do something. Some people we find in this same fear is a fear of failure. I mean, a fear of failure. And then the fear of the future. You say, What's the future? You know, we have the book. We have the the greatest book ever written unfolding before our eyes today. And we know the end. So we have a choice, guys. God, same same choice that God gave the 32,000. If you're fearful, go home, he said. But tonight, just like I ended with last week, the first test in courage is you got a choice to make: either fear or be faithful. One of the two. You can't stay in the middle ground. You can't. You can't do that. The test, guys. You have to pick one, and God is not. I'm going to say this to you again. I said it yesterday. I said it last week. God's not in. Not, God's not going to use a coward. And that's probably not a very popular statement today. Because for some strange reason, men are being depicted today, people in general, Christians especially, uh, this big line of passivity. I'm not passive, guys. I'm not, I never have been passive. When I was lost and I was a sinner, I wasn't passive. When I got saved and born again and got right with God, I wasn't passive. I am aggressive. With the word of God. I'm aggressive in my lifestyle. That doesn't mean I'm arrogant or mean. That doesn't mean any of those things. You can have strength and backbone, okay, courage, without being a jerk. We need to understand that. I think it's personally. I think it's quite simple. 22,000 leave. They said, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm scared. I'm, a, I'll, <laughs> I'm afraid. And so they went home. God says they're not quite ready yet. You got too many people. You got too many people going on and so he brings in the next test. The next test, I believe I believe, most of us probably contend with every single day. You're going to contend with it tomorrow morning. Every one of you in here will. You may even contend with it tonight, but I promise you in the morning you're going to contend with it. And and that's the test, guys, of commitment. Of commitment. Um I'll get to where we are. So, so we see here in our life where we need to be. Judges chapter 7. You can read it from the screen here tonight. The test of commitment. Judges 7. In verse 4, we pick up where we left off last week. And it says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Now, I'm going to stop there just for a second. Now, I'm I'm thinking of this little farmer boy who God said, You're going to be the next deliverer. I would imagine. Well, we know that he, did. he says, "Hang on, Lord, don't you know who you're talking to? We're the weakest and poorest. I mean, me." And then all of a sudden, the, from the messages that went out of, "Hey, we're going to take on the Midianites. We're going to get. We're going to be delivered." Who's all with me? Thirty-two thousand showed up, and I personally believe, "Hey, man, we've hit. We've hit a home run. We are okay. We've hit the lottery right here. This is the jackpot." Thirty-two thousand people, man. And then God, said, well, wait a second. We got to weed some out. Whoever's afraid, go home. And then twenty-two thousand leave. Ooh, wait a second. Well, you know, that still leaves ten thousand. That's a lot of people. Ten thousand are I? actually Gideon going. All right, all right, we can do this, man. We can. We got ten thousand people, and then God steps in and he just says this. He says the people are yet too many. And I, I, I wonder if Gideon, in the back of his mind, said, Have you seen the Midianites? Have you seen how many tents they have? How many warriors? How many soldiers? How many? Have you seen that many, Lord? Are, you know, are you sure ten thousands? Uh, too many, but it had to be a test of commitment. He goes on to read and says, "Bring them down to the water, or uh, unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee; the same shall go with thee. And for and of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee; the same shall not go." Verse five. So he brought he brought down uh, the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, And everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself, likewise everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And verse 6 goes on to say, And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. <laughs> but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the people, every man go into his place. In other words, they're going home too. Now, do you get the picture with me? I don't know if you guys ever watched wildlife shows when you are growing up or still watch them now. You you ever notice the one that's just kind of carelessly getting some water, got his face in the water, and he's just drinking and drinking? That's the one that always dies, isn't it? You know, they're just clueless, man. The one we see here, the one that God is looking for is the one that would come down to the water and keep his eyes looking. up Not as much water as he can get by sticking his whole face in the water. He just comes down, gets him a drink, gets him another one. You see, he's concerned with what's going on. That's the difference that we find here. That's the test of commitment, guys. This is what separates, as we would say, the men from the boys. Commitment will always make a difference. If you're not committed, guys, when anything comes in your life rough, when something comes in that's not your way, if you're not committed to the cause, you know what's going to happen? You're going to flee. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to harm those that are with you. I remember um, when I first started playing college ball, and... Uh, if you're on defense, you had a gold shirt. If you're on offense, you had a blue shirt. But that was all scholarship players, all right. And uh, there was these guys running around in green jerseys, all right. You know, we had our pads on. You had your 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 um, jersey over that. And they were the, they were called the green shirts. And I I remember asking one one of my teammates. He was a year older than me. Um, I said, "Well, who are these guys?" He goes, "Oh, those are the walk-ons." Walk-ons, I know is a a foreign thing. For you understand, but you had scholarship players who were recruited. And they were brought to the school to play uh, that particular sport, and then somebody, if they wanted to, they could just walk on and they could work hard to try to make the team. Doesn't mean they're ever going to play. Doesn't mean they're ever going to dress out. It doesn't mean they're definitely doesn't even mean they're going to get a scholarship. But they may be used for a tackle and dummy or something like that throughout the line. That's the way a lot of it works out. Some of you may have seen the old movie Rudy. He was a walk-on, okay? Some of the movie was embellished, but nonetheless, uh, he was a walk-on, and he stood the test of time, and he finally got to dress out in the very last game of his senior year on the team. We had anywhere from sixty to hundred people come on his green shirts—sixty to hundred, man. And I remember looking around. I was in, you know, you had, you had, we had two different locker rooms, offense and defense, and we had a load of people on our team. Look, 110 people that were scholarship players, all right, or second-year players. And here's these 60 other books. I'm like, where are they? They didn't even have a locker, Hannah. Matter of fact, they had a locker. It was outside. It was outside in South Mississippi in August. Do you know what it's like in South Mississippi in August? It's the most miserable place in the world you got mosquitoes the size of eagles, man. It is nasty. It is sweaty. It is hot. It is stinky. They wasn't even allowed inside the locker room. They wasn't allowed in the weight room. They wasn't allowed in the showers. Do you understand? They had to go home and go somewhere else to shower. They were walk-ons. And I remember looking around, I'd walk out, and here I was, a 17 year old boy, and I'm looking at these guys changing clothes out here in the, on the back side of the field, the pitch is over here, and the field's here, and they're changing clothes, or getting ready for practice. One guy, big old guy, he had the biggest head that I've ever seen in my, at my life. We didn't even have a helmet that would fit that guy. He's out in practice, man, playing with no helmet whatsoever. I'm thinking, they're going to have to cut him. Somebody's going to kill him, man. I mean, he just had this massive head. And a coach wasn't going to spend two or $300 to buy the kid a helmet. Who wasn't going to make it past two or three days? And they were treated terrible, guys. They had no promise whatsoever. No promise whatsoever to survive and make this team. And, guys, this was a hard team. This essentially was a convict league, I'm telling you. It was rough. We had people bringing shanks out to the field in games. I could tell you stories right now that would stand the hair on the back of your neck. I mean, when the benches, when the bleachers cleared and there was a brawl or a fight in this field, guys, I'm telling you right now, you better be looking around. You better hope that somebody is there with your jersey on, otherwise, you're going to get pummeled. It was a brutal, brutal league. Now, I'm not joking about convict league. I'm not. We actually had a guy on our team that set a place on fire. Uh, and that's what got him kicked off and put back into prison. But he made a deal with the state to come out of prison as long as he stayed in school. He lasted six weeks. His name was, uh, I know his, I won't call his full name, but his name was Ed. And he had a tattoo on his arm that said, Dumb Ed. He didn't even spell dumb right. It was D-U-M. <laughs> but the dude was good, man. He would smoke a fag on the sideline during practice. I was like, this guy's lost his mind. But these green shirts, guys, were treated so bad And usually one of them made the team. Now, I said that big, long story. Guys, I'm not rehashing the glory days. I'm trying to make a point. Out of 60 to 100 of them, usually one made the team. You know which one that was? It's the one that was committed. I remember a guy named that made it my freshman year. a guy named David Cox. He's about that tall. He actually was a national champion barefoot water skier at the age of 12. He had legs like tree trunks. And every time the coach would say, hey, can anybody do this, kick, whatever catch? But he'd raise his hand. Coach actually said one time, he says, David Cox, if you raise your hand for one more position that you can do, I'm going to kick you myself. So he just wanted to make the team. He endured humiliation. He endured everything that you can imagine today. Kicked out. He made that team. He was the only one. There was guys trying to make that team for two or three years that never made it. I mean, strong guys, but they could not make it past. The commitment. They never were. The ones that were committed, they were never late to practice. They were the first ones getting dressed. They were out there on that field. They never missed anything. They were there. at every time the doors were open, no matter how bad they were treated, they wanted on that team, and one made it. And David Cox was one of them. 10,000 men went down to a stream. And God said, I'm going to tell you which ones you are going to deliver the Midianites with. They went down there for a drink. 9,700 of them drank like an animal. Mind you, they drank like a prey animal, completely unaware of what was going on around them and the rest of their unit, if you will. 9,700 were clueless and not committed, and God saw that and made it known unto Gideon. 300 men were careful. 300 were valiant. 300 drank by that stream, watching for the enemy as they drank the water. There were 300 men who meant business and who were going to take care of your back. They had your six, and they were there no matter what. And they put their own desires and their own needs to the side 9700 of them are only inter- interested in pleasure they just playing not interested in the battle their only concern was drinking water now guys I understand we all have these needs and we'll touch on that in just a second but these men the ones who are only interested in the pleasure the only thing only ones that are interested in what can benefit them they'll hurt you they will let you down they will not be there when the times get hard They are not warriors. And God said, this is the test. It's a simple test, isn't it? Nobody got a cheat sheet. Nobody studied for it. It was a test of their character. A test of their character, which lined up with their commitment. you know what D.L. Moody said about character? D.L. Moody said that character is what a man does in the dark. A lot of us can put a big show on for a lot of people. But what you do behind closed doors, that shows whether you're committed or not. God knows our needs, people. There's nothing wrong with them, but I'm going to say this, and this may, this may not go over well, but I'll take it. Your needs don't come first. Your needs don't come first. And there's nothing wrong with needs, guys. Notice the image here. Notice the picture here. Both groups, the 9,700 who are clueless and then the 300, they all got their needs met, didn't they? They all got some water. They all got to drink the water, didn't they? The 300 put the battle first. The 300 put the safety and the security, the care, to those around them first, rather than themselves. The opposition of fear today, guys, is not clueless, but rather carefulness. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 8. He says, be sober, which means to be clear-headed. Be vigilant, which means to be viciously aware. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he, watch this, may devour. Do you know who he's looking to a devour? The ones who are clueless. The ones who've got their face shoved into the water and don't care about anybody but their own needs and what they can get out of it right now. And not concerned with the rest of the team, the rest of the union, the rest of the people. That's what they do. That's why God used this as a, as a test. It's interesting that that word may devour. Because we look at the adversary, the devil, we look at Satan, as, and he is the second most powerful being in all the world today. But the Bible tells me greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is the Holy Spirit of God in me, being saved and born again, than Satan is. Do you understand? And one day Satan's going to bow his knee and proclaim who God is. He's going to do that with a commitment level. It's all about what you put into it right now. Your commitment is seen in your lifestyle, in the choices you make, preparing for what you need to do in order to be vigilant, to be alert, to be aware, widely and acutely aware in the life that we live today. Without vigilance, you're going to lose the battle. We can't go through life clueless, guys, the situation at hand, and we must have our head on right, looking and watching For our fellow brothers and sisters. In my life, I look at it like this. My God comes first. First and foremost, before anything and anyone. My family and everyone else come second. And I come last. And you say, well, preacher, how do you live? It's worked so far. That's the mindset of these 300 men that went with Gideon. Put their own needs to the side. They still got their needs met, but they put it to the side. It wasn't a priority. God cannot use a coward, guys, but he also can't use people that are clueless. God cannot use the fearful, but he also cannot use the foolish. So I want you to get the picture now as Gideon, this little farmer turned fighter, this man of war who he becomes. 22,000 went home because they were fearful. Another 9,700 men went home because they were just simply foolish. But God said, There's 300 men that I can use now, they're faithful they are the ones that are going to be the warriors. So the question I present to you this evening, which one are you going to be? I can't make that answer for you. I can't make it up for you. The only thing that I can do is I can give you the examples. I can give you the teaching. I can show you the foundation. I can show you what you need to be through the Holy Scripture and the Word of God. That's it. From that point forward, it's your choice to pick it up and do something with it. So ask yourself tonight. If God was to put you through the test the same way he put these men to the test, would you be part of the 22,000 who are just afraid? Are you going to be part of the 9,700 who are just clueless? They're just interested in a free meal or something like that? Or are you going to be part of the faithful, the ones who put their own needs to the side, still have their needs met, but put their own benefit needs to the side and had the back, had got their six of their partner was there for the team, was there for the battle. We bow your heads tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be here this evening. We thank you, dear God, for your precious word. And I just ask you tonight that if you will, Lord, I pray that you would rest it upon the hearts and minds of everyone present, those who may listen in another venue at another time. I pray, dear God, that you would take your word, your spirit, make a difference in their life. And, Father, I pray as we begin to evaluate our own lives, begin to put ourselves to the test and of whether or not we have the courage to stand upon truth. Do we, do we cower down when the name of Jesus comes up? or do we stand firm in the beliefs taught in the Word of God? beloved, are we are we clueless as what's going on around us? Lord, I ask you tonight to help us examine those questions. Are we filled with courage? Are we committed tonight? Will we be found amongst the three hundred men who are faithful? We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I hope and pray that teaching preaching the word of God was a blessing to your heart here this evening.